worship team. Uh, I just want to add um, to the words of greeting you've already gotten, um, including from my son, uh, who pointed out that I was the old man who wants to give by mail. Uh, but I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads um, out there. Um, maybe I'll say online to the dads who are um, watching because they're at the lake or the U.S. Open and the couch is calling. Um, totally understand. That's what my dad probably will consider worship today himself. Uh, I sent my dad a text early, early this morning, probably before he was awake. Um, but it's good to have these kind of mile marker days, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, as much as I think Hallmark has a racket on us and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, it's good to have times to sit back and reflect and be thankful for those that God um, put in our lives. And really, because they're our dads or our moms, he put us in their lives. And so grateful um, to my fellow dads. Just grateful to journey with you. Thanks for all the encouragement um, that you guys provide me as we try to figure out this thing called fatherhood uh, together. I want to just uh, continue to, to pray along as Matthew prayed. Uh, would you bow with me in prayer, and we'll start our new series in a moment. Uh, Father, thank you that on this day we can sing how deep the Father's love for us and know that it, it never can be fathomed fully, the depths of your love, the links to which you go to demonstrate that love, Lord, we see most fully in the sending of your son, in his sacrifice on our behalf, and on uh, your willingness uh, to send him that he might die the death that we deserve so that we might live the life we don't deserve. It's by your grace and mercy. So we, we praise you for being our heavenly father who met us in our greatest need. And yet, Lord, also you're the father who is a how much more father. Jesus himself told us when we pray, not to imagine that you're holding back, uh, behind your back, something of goodness or kindness or provision. Lord, if we ask you for one thing, you don't trick us and give us another. If you promise a good thing, Lord, you don't hold back, you follow through. And so for all of us as dads who know where we don't measure up, where at times we have blown it, thank you for your grace that's sufficient for us as well. As we turn to your word, Lord, this is a big part of your provision to us as our Heavenly Father. You don't just invite us to pray, but in the Psalms, you give voice to the cries of our heart that often don't, they don't come out loud in prayers from us because they feel unsafe or unsavory. Lord, we, uh, in one blush, uh, probably out of a respect or maybe out of a don't know how to pray, Lord. We, we just throw up polished prayers. But Lord, thank you for the invitation to just come unvarnished with no pretense right where we are. We thank you for your acceptance, for your grace, for your invitation, and for you making possible for us to come to you and cry out to you. We have access to you because of the new and living way that Jesus inaugurated through his flesh being given on our behalf. So we come now confident we come now thankful, or we just come as we are if we're neither of those things, and thank you that you meet us right where we are. We pray you would do so as we open the Psalms. Would you meet us there? Would your spirit illumine our hearts and minds? 
Would he encourage? Would he comfort? Would he rebuke? Whatever we need, Lord, so that we might be drawn to you. And as we draw near to you, draw near to us. Your nearness is our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, speaking of my dad, uh, I've, I've talked before about um, one of the ways my dad demonstrated love to me was he gave me his beloved Jeep in 1986 when I turned 16. And then he gave me his beloved grace and mercy when I totaled that Jeep about a year later. But I want you, I want to give you that picture of uh, Jeep because I want you to go back to about 1986, which is when I turned 16. And imagine this hair is not gray, not salt and pepper, but it's fully blonde and it's feathered. All right. And we're driving in the wind. And no, we didn't have um, iPhones to plug in and play through Bluetooth. I was popping in a cassette and it wasn't just a cassette I purchased at a store in the mall, <laughs> but it was one that it was a blank tape, a mixtape that I made. And imagine it's summertime and there's certain tunes that go with summer like Don Henley's Boys of Summer. It could be bad, filthy, I'm not sure, so don't go listen to it. <laughs> I don't know. But just imagine that, right? There was a mixtape. And in my growing up years, we are the inventors of the mixtape. I know that's been rebranded. People throw out mixtapes now on social media, and that, that's, I love it. You've revived that idea, okay? But a mixtape, you usually would make it either to fit a summer vibe or, man, these are all my... Um, you know, pump me up when I work out songs. Uh, gosh, I got fooled into falling into love, so I made all these love songs, right? Whatever it is, you wanted a mixtape to fit the mood of the moment, or particularly if you're in a season, it's just like, it's kind of the soundtrack of the vibe of your life. And I use that if you read the email this week. I, I know some of you, many of you get it, um, but we're going to go through the Psalms this summer. You can throw up the first slide. They're just showing the series. There's, there's an old mixtape, uh, and our summer mixtape will be going through various Psalms. And particularly, we've tried to choose Psalms that maybe you haven't trafficked in before. There are 150 of them. Many of you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of you know Psalm 1, about the, the man who uh, is blessed is one who doesn't go the way of the wicked, but he meditates on God's word day and night. He's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. That's Psalm 1. Psalm 139, where can I go to flee from your spirit? You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. You, you fearfully and wonderfully knit me in my mother's womb. These are all beloved Psalms. We're not going to do those. They're great. We're going to do some that maybe you haven't trafficked in as much because God gave us 150 because just like I had a mixtape for the summer and a mixtape for the, you know, being smitten with, with a girl for workout. Well, yes, I used to work out. Um, all of that, right? There's a psalm for every season. And just for a moment as we get into that, um, we're going to begin today in Psalm 31 where David says this. You can put the next one up there. This is the title of this message, but really this is the framing for this entire summer for us. He says in Psalm 31, verse 15, the first part of it, he says, my times are in your hand. Now we're going to go through this prayer. Um, it's actually not a pretty prayer. You think, well, man, we should start off on a high note. We're going to start off on a low note because actually that's where a lot of life is. But David says, my times, or the word there, times, is where we get our 
concept of season. The season, whatever that season is, are in your hands. So just for a moment before we get into Psalm 31, I want to ask you if there was a mixtape that you would put together right now for the season that you're in, or the, maybe it's the season you feel like you're entering, maybe you're on that threshold of a transition from one to another, from down to up, up to down, whatever. What is that current season? What are the times that you are in right now? And if you put together a mixtape, or a, let's get modern, let, if you had a playlist, what are you going to entitle your playlist for where you are now? And maybe you had to put one title on the mixtape. Or if you want to call it the soundtrack of your current vibe, what is that? Because there's a psalm for whatever season, whatever times you are in. And we're going to go through this one first because wherever that is, we want to realize or to practice and exercise that your times, wherever they are, wherever you are right now, are in his sovereign, personal, caring hands. So just for a moment, think about it. If you've got a pen, you've got something to write on, write in your Bible, I would encourage you, what would that mixtape be entitled? What would your season, and just write a word. Maybe you can't come up with it right now, and if you're a perfectionist, write 17 words, okay, in the margin. Because it doesn't do us any good to study a psalm, to study any portion of Scripture, but just study it as this abstract, detached thing. This isn't a history lesson. Uh, this isn't nice stuff to know. This is the living Word of God. And we want it to be living and active, as the author of the Hebrew says, to get into every nook, cranny, and season in our lives. If you're in a mountaintop, there's psalms of praise. If you're in a valley of despair, if you're licking the pavement in sadness, there are psalms of lament that can give voice to your anguish to your ache, to your confusion. You're in a good groove, there's psalms of thanksgiving. You feel sapped by the sin that you've been keeping hidden, there's psalms of confession. If you're in a dry time, there's psalms of remembrance. If you're facing a challenge, there are psalms of confident trust. God has given us the psalms, all 150 of them, to give voice to the real longings, your real longings, your real hurts, your real hopes, what's really going on in your heart. He's given us psalms to give voice to those things, whatever times, whatever season you are in. And I want you to hear this because some of you, some of you need more help in this than others. These psalms that we're going to go through, they give us, they give you permission to not have it all together. They invite us to come to God, as I prayed, I believe, unvarnished. You can drop the these and the vows. Let it be the real you meeting with the real God in real time, your real times right now. And today may not be the song that would be kind of the, the major song on your mixtape of the season you're in, 
But I can guarantee you, you will need today's psalm. You'll need to be in it now so that when it does hit the fan, it will be a little bit more at the ready. You will have voice to articulate what anguishes you. And that's what we're going to look at. David also tells us my favorite verse in the whole Bible, Psalm 62.8. If my times are in his hands, Psalm 62.8, David says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. To begin our summer series, we're going to go to the psalm where David utters the words we saw earlier. My times are in your hands. Psalm 31. Would you meet me in Psalm 31? If you've got a swipe to get there, scroll to get there, flip to get there, you need to nuzzle up next to somebody to get there so they can read on their copy. And we're going to ask God to meet us there this morning and each morning this summer as we go through the Psalms. Now, we're going to do something a little different. Um, one, you need to know that these are prayers. They were also intended to be um, songs, to be sung in worship. Often, um, it'll say to like the, um, even in ours, I believe, let me look back. Yeah, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Sometimes we'll say to the chief musician. Um, these were sung. This is when the people of God got together, coming in. They were gathering from all types of seasons. And who's the God of all seasons? Who's the one who's over all? And who's the one who holds all seasons in his hands? The Psalms invite us to know him. But here's how I want to start today. Um, I believe the next slide is verse 21. Uh, look on your copy of God's Word. Because I want to start here. We do this at times. We'll bring somebody up to share a testimony. Uh, maybe the, the subject is, uh, you know, we're going through forgiveness and when you when you don't when you hold a grudge and you don't offer forgiveness what it does to in, inside of you and we'll have somebody come up and tell their story well i imagine that verses 21 and verse 22 are david kind of saying let me tell you my story let me tell you the season i was in let me tell you what i was going through and where god met me in the midst of that okay so we want to get, again, we don't want this to be distant for you and for one another, but also for David. These aren't just words he thought, man, that'd be a, that'd be a, a hit. It'd go on everybody, everybody's, everybody's mixtape, okay? This is what happened to him, really, in life. So 21 and 22, again, if he's standing up here to give testimony to God in the rough patch he was in, verse 21, blessed be the Lord. Why? For he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Next slide. I had, and no, nope, there we go. I'd set in my alarm, so when I had that feeling of being in a besieged city, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. He's talking to God. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Keep your eyes on those two verses for just a minute. David says, Blessed be the Lord, for he's wondrously shown his steadfast love. Some of your translations may say his loving kindness. The word is chesed. Not going to give you a whole lot of Hebrew words because it starts, you know, that kind of thing. 
chesed. That is loving kindness, loyal love. This is speaking of the covenantal, the covenant-keeping love of God. No matter how you behave, I will not break my covenant. This is from Yahweh to his people. Now, they broke the covenant over and over and over again. And all the prophets in the Old Testament, if you want to really understand the prophets, we think Nostradamus looking forward, really what the prophets did more of was not future casting, but was bringing the people back to remember the covenant that God made with us and that he's the covenant-keeping God. And look how far we are from it. And it's a call to return to the God of loyal love. So he's saying, you have wondrously shown me. Not just that's something that I heard about. I tasted it. I experienced it. You demonstrated it. That covenant-keeping loyal love. This wasn't for David any longer if it was before. This is no longer just theology on a page. This is no longer what we would call confessional theology. Like, yeah, here are my beliefs. No, those beliefs got tested and shaken, and God wondrously showed, I'm not just the God that you heard about of loyal love. He says, you displayed it and demonstrated your loyal love to me. And this is now becoming real-time, not just confessional theology, but real-time, functional, active theology of David. The kind that now you know it in your faith muscle memory. Now you know it in your experience. Now you have practiced it. Well, when was that? Look at the end of that verse. He says, when I was in a besieged city. So again, David's up here sharing his story. He goes, let me tell you, he's using that as a metaphor. Let me tell you, it felt like I was in the middle of a city back in the day, and we are besieged and surrounded on every side. And like an anaconda, the other army was squeezing in on us. That's the picture he's trying to give. I don't think he's saying I'm actually in a besieged city at that moment. It's more like that narrowing, 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 constricting feeling. He says, that was the season I was in when I felt like I was in a besieged city. And then he says, That's quite, that was quite alarming to me. And so as I had that feeling and the pressure was pressing in on me, I was alarmed and I was growing more and more alarmed. And he said, man, I, I, I'm cut off from God's sight. When I felt alarmed, only thing I could feel was I'm cut off from your sight. And he says, but, he's again, he's up here telling a story. because that's where I was. But what I came to understand was that though I felt like I was cut off from his sight, he says, you heard. I didn't feel like you could see me, but I came to experience that not only did you see me, you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. So now we're going to go through the psalm. That was where he was. He was alarmed, wondering, thinking, I'm cut off from God's sight. Does he see me? Does he care? I'm feeling this pressure from every side. We're going to hear him cry out to God. He's going to cry out for help from conspiring enemies, for rescue from increasing pressures and attacks for God's mercy in his distress as he feels ever more isolated and abandoned. We're going to look at the first wave of David anguishing 
and then he's going to rejoice for a moment as he slowly begins to feel God's assurance, and then he's going to feel terror and panic again as threats loom around every corner. Pick up with me in verse 1. It's not There are no slides. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word or listen intently. Verses 1 through 8, the first wave. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they've hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. That phrase should sound very familiar. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Why? Because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. He begins to feel a little more assured. He begins to feel like the constriction is relieved a little bit. The narrowing of the besieged city. Now I feel like you've put me in a broad place. I can breathe. I can see. I can take a moment and not be scanning the horizon for the next attack or disappointment. This is the first wave. Again, David is crying to God for refuge and rescue. I want you to notice verse 1, in you I take refuge. Verse 2, be a rock of refuge to me, a strong fortress, for you are my rock and my fortress. Four times in this psalm, he talks about God being a refuge, and then he uses other words like fortress, stronghold, rock. Um, for those who, who uh, have been to Israel, we went to Masada. This would be one of those places. It's a very high place. It's built up. It's fortified, but particularly there were others uh, around the nation where there would be places of refuge where if you are being pursued as the king, you could know, I got 3.7 miles. Well, I don't know if they'd be that exact, no GPS. But I know where it is. I got to get past that, that little palm grove, and then I'll be to the refuge. Sometimes those refuges, refuges were built up like a Masada fortress type thing. Other times they were just known clefts in the rock. In fact, that's one of these phrases in here, you know, be to me a rock. It's the craggy part where you could get in and be hidden from your enemies. And we see David do that elsewhere. We don't know exactly when he says, when I was in a besieged city, we don't know exactly when he wanted refuge, needed refuge. He has enemies, he says. They're after him. We don't know in David's life exactly. This could be when he was on the run from Saul. Saul being jealous of David, already anointed king, but not yet king. Saul's like, what about me? The ladies are singing their songs about David. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out. This could be when he's running from Saul. It's very possibly, or another possibility I think is a little bit more possible, <clears throat> is when he's on the run from his own son, Absalom. Imagine Father's Day. What an anguish of heart that is if your own son is after you to take you out. 
Imagine the disappointment. Imagine the second guessing of where did I go wrong? What did I do? The anguish for your son, but also the angst for your own life. We don't know exactly, but we do know that David's crying out to God, and he says, you are my refuge, but I need you to be to me a refuge. I need a safe place. I need security. I need to breathe. I need to not be tense every moment. I need to know that you see me, that you care. Notice throughout this um, psalm that it's, it's the full spectrum of emotions. Again, I said some of us need the permission for that. We feel like any emotion may be sacrilegious, may be out of bounds. God says, not only is it in bounds, it's my invitation to you. Again, Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts before him. He says, as if it's full of toxicity and doubt and frustration with me, pour it out. Now, there is some measure. Ecclesiastes would say, hey, when you come, when you draw near to God, draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. But let me tell you this, somewhere in that, you know, spewing the mess in my heart and trying to have respect, God says, I'll meet you wherever you are. Some of you, that's all you need to hear today. You're going to almost tune me out because you almost can't believe that God gives you that permission, but he does. If you read Psalm 13, this is a psalm of lament. Psalm 13 is probably the most um, just quintessential example of a lament. It's only six verses, but he says four times, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long do I have to take counsel in my own soul? He says, Consider and answer me, God. That's David pouring out his heart. That's David lamenting. That's David anguishing particularly because it seems like it's been way too long, God. You haven't done anything. Well, David, in this particular psalm, is saying, I was in a tight place, a pressured place, a terrorized place. I was on the run. I'm looking for refuge. And it's every emotion. He voices his fears, then his trust, then his hatred, followed by an outburst of rejoicing and gladness because he feels seen by God. Again, we would think, man, this guy needs to get a hold of himself. This is, this is us. This is the human condition. This is us because we don't have it all together, and we won't have it all together. And because we keep trying to find security, significance, something of worth, of identity, in our own manufacture, and it will always let us down. And none of us will be everybody's best friend, most admired person. In fact, many of us, like David, will experience some pressure or intimidation or conspiracy at work, um, some heartbreak of your child and how they view you, uh, some relationship with uh, with a friend that just has gone south and feels like it will never be repaired. All of us will experience this anguish And David says, you have seen, I love that. You have seen my affliction. Some of us want to know right now, 
God, do you see my affliction? He says, you have seen my affliction. Now, if you go back to when David's standing up here giving his testimony, what did he say? In my alarm, he's alarmed. I felt like I was cut off from your sight. Even in this, there's a washing back and forth. Where are you? I feel like I'm cut off from your sight. I need refuge, God. I need help. I need rescuing. They got a net that that was used of hunters for their prey. They're trying to trap me in a net. Am I cut off from your sight? And then at some point in the midst of that, he reminds himself or God brings to remembrance that God is his refuge. So be to me a refuge, God. And as he's even trying to exercise that, for a moment, he says, I, all right, I, I, I feel seen right now. Thank you. David says that. I've, I'm, in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. He says that because like me, David's troubled soul affects his perception of reality. Well, these eight verses are wave one of David going from anguish assurance. Derek Kidner in his commentary notes there's an unexpected feature in Psalm 31 because Psalm, uh, David makes this journey not only where we just saw wave one, is there's actually now a second wave of anguish and followed up by assurance. We feel like, well, gosh, God, I got the prayer out there and you kind of brought me to a good place. And then I don't know if you're like me, but all of a sudden I feel like the slats got kicked out again. And maybe I kicked them out myself. But now verses 9 to 20, let's look again at the second wave of anguish capped off with assurance. Verse 9. Verses 9 through 13 are particularly David's anguishing lament. Verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul, my body also. For my life, listen to this. Have you been here? my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Not only is it probably stuff that he had nothing to do with out there, that he's feeling pressure and terrorized and, and being chased after, but also he says, you know what? I probably have some things to own here myself. In fact, maybe that's why he asked, let me not be put to shame. Maybe folks are mocking him for his uh, sin with Bathsheba adultery and murder. We don't know again when, but David knows. He said uh, various times throughout the Psalms, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. In this point, I've sinned against God. And so he even tries to own that in this moment. Verse 11, because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. In fact, he says, those who see me in the street Flee from me. This is the king of Israel. This is the king of Israel, and this is the original cancel culture. We live in that now, where we are afraid to say anything because now we'll get uh, people will disassociate from us. They will label us. They will put you in one camp or another. Uh, I had lunch with. Um, a, couple, a couple of different lunches over the past couple of weeks with folks where I, I have just talked about personally, um, you know, boy, it was a hard and still is, but hard couple of years as a pastor when you have folks who, are, who have this opinion on this issue and you have also folks who have this opinion on the same issue. 
And what I, what I was talking to a couple different ones at, at these lunches, like, I like to let folks know I, my allegiance is to neither one of those on either issue. And I will dodge and duck and will not lab, let you label me because what I want to do is introduce the tensions that God puts in his scripture because that's how I should live. And therefore, I can try to walk in integrity no matter the issue. But the reality is, David was experiencing cancel culture. Neighbors, acquaintances, they want to they wanna reproach him. They want to shame his name. They want to say, if you hang out with him, you're in the wrong crowd. You're on the wrong side of history. Choose your label. David was going through it. He says, I've, become, I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. You think of pottery. You, 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 you used it. It got cracked. It's useless. You just toss it aside. He said, I'm a tossed aside piece of pottery. And then he says, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. He says, I feel like a useless nobody. I'm being discarded. I'm being attacked. Maybe I deserve some of that. My body is wasting away. I am all I do is just sigh all day long. He is in anguish. Verse 14. But, but, I'm not going to live in denial of where I am. I've just spewed where I am. But, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand, including these times that I don't really want to be in, that are painful, that are pressurized, where even those close to me say, eh, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. He says, rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. He's He'd been meditating at least at some point in numbers. This is that benediction that God would cause his face to shine upon you. He says, make your face shine on your servant. Let me know your smile even when everyone else isn't just frowning. They're spitting and hissing at me. Save me in your chesed, your steadfast love. Oh, Lord, let me not be put to shame for I call upon you. And he goes, I'm going to put them in your hands. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to, to the grave, to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute. You silence them, God, which speak insolently, insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And then he comes to more assurance. He's, he's exercised his faith in who his God is. He's practiced his, rehearsed the truth that God is sovereign and he is a ruler of the season he's in and all his seasons. He said, I resolve to trust in you no matter how it feels, no matter how I hurt. Verse 19, oh, how abundant the overflow, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. He says, God, your goodness, you store it up. It's in a storehouse that never ends. And you are letting me have the overflow of your goodness, even in bitter, pressurized times. 
in my distress, you've been storing up goodness for me, but not only stored up, you're letting it spill out. Your goodness is being put into action in my life. I like to use the phrase, uh, I can't remember what, when I started just gripping to it, but God, thank you for your tangible kindnesses in my life. He's saying this isn't just goodness like theology 101, God is so good but it's God is so good and is being so good to me. In fact, he may be the only good that he's experiencing. Like Asaph in Psalm 73, he says, man, I don't even know if I should even stick with you, God. It seems like it's all empty and in vain. What's the point? He says, I thought all this until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I realized what happens to the wicked, though I think fat and happy looks like it's the right way to go. I know it's not. He says, until then, until I processed and got with God, he says, I was embittered within me like a beast. He said, I was acting on my nerve endings. That's exactly what David, that was Asaph. This is what David is saying here. God, be a refuge to me. Where are you? Do you see me? Do you hear me? I'm in anguish. I am spending my years with sighing. But Asaph says in Psalm 73, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And David says here, oh, how abundant is your goodness stored up and shown to me. He says, in the cover of, the, of your presence, you hide them, your people, from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. David is anguishing, and so he laments. Again, you've heard me say this a lot, but lament is a lost language. Lament is a lost art. And it's the articulation for our times. If you don't know how to lament, the good news is you don't have to do it polishedly or perfectly. But I can tell you, as long as we hold in frustration and disappointment and try to put on a good Sunday school smile, but we're caving in inside, God's saying, you're trying to hold it up for me. I don't need you to do that. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We come as we are, and we lament. And the practice of lament doesn't mean I'm kicking hope to the curb because I'm just telling God all my frustrations. It actually, to lament is to dare to hold on to hope in God, no matter the time or the season. Now, we're going to look at, I'm going to read the verses 23 and 24. We already heard his testimony. 23 and 24 after David gives us his unvarnished prayer, his anguish, occasional assurance, trying to cling to God by faith, he lets us see his journal. Then 23 and 24 says, don't let that just be my story. I'm inviting you to rejoice with me in the God whose abundant goodness he was so kind to let spill out into my life, who heard my cries when I felt like he wasn't seeing me or hearing me, he heard, and so 23 and 24, he says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. I want you to, I want to say three things. This psalm, if you had to put a subject on it, if you had to put a title on the song for the mixtape, 
It would be taking refuge in God during distressing times. Taking refuge in God during distressing times. Three things I want to say. Number one, what taking refuge looks like is let it be the real you. Let it be the real you who takes refuge in God. If you look back at the psalm, just look at I'm in distress. My body's wasting, my bones are wasting away, sighing. It's the full spectrum of emotion. Which of these emotions, these pains, these desperations resonate most with you this morning? During this season that you're in right now, do you feel like God doesn't see you in your stress? Do you feel like he doesn't listen or maybe he won't listen because maybe he doesn't care? How true to life is this psalm? I ache, then I flail. This is Buddy. I ache, then I flail. Then mild panic, then I pray. Then I gain some perspective. I sense God's encouragement a little bit. Then whoosh, the next wave disheartens me. And that may just be me, but it disheartens me. Then doubt and fear begin their undertow work on my emotions again, and I'm anguishing again. How about you? Which of these emotions, which of these phrases might be the song of where you are right now? I pray that as it finds resonance, it also would be God's grace to you to say, I see you and I hear you. He sees you and he hears you. Be encouraged. God has given us psalms of lament, psalms of trust, so that the real you can meet with the real him in real time amidst, just like me, your back and forth emotions. Number two, not only let it be the real you, but know the real God who is your refuge. God is your sovereign and personal refuge. Back in verse 15, my times are in your hands. Times or seasons, God is sovereignly ruling over all the times and all your times or seasons. He knows his designs and his purposes that he has for you. He knows what trials will be necessary for me or for you to go through to learn to trust him, to learn to put something in his hands, and for him to continue the finishing work to make you like his son. He knows what you need. He knows what affliction, what difficulty you may need to go through so that he can chisel away, so that he can sanctify you, that he can make you like Jesus. Same concept in verse 15 is used in Daniel. Daniel in chapter 2, verse 21. He says of God, it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He uses the same word, same phrase, times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It's not only the real you, but the real God that you're coming to is sovereign. He's sovereign all over, of, over all nations, over all eras and epochs, and all, over all times, including the season that you and I are in. He is unthwartably sovereign, and yet he's also personal. He's not just way up here detached and sovereign. He's intimately acquainted with all your ways. He sent his son to come near to us, but also he himself, even now, though we don't see him, we know 
and can know that he sees us. He's intimately acquainted with you, with all your ways and all your worries. And here David says it. He has seen my affliction. I have prayed before this message, and I pray now for some of you who need nothing more than to hear him whisper in your heart, I see you in your affliction. I see your hurt. I know your frustration. But isn't that what we most want to feel seen from our friends? We're like, well, why didn't anybody call about this? Why didn't anybody reach out to me about this? To feel seen. That's not only what we need and want from friends, it's what we need to be assured of with God that he notices and he cares for you. Third thing, let it be the real you who takes refuge in God. Know the real God who is your refuge, both sovereign and yet personal. But then what does it mean? What does it look like to take refuge in God? The best thing I can do is say Psalm 31. Just take refuge. This is what it sounds like. This is what it spews like. This is what it looks like. But here's what I want to say. To take refuge in God, which is what he says he does in verse 1, To take refuge is not passive. It's like, well, God's in charge. He's got it. It's deliberate. It's often exerting great effort and determination. Because remember, for them, physically, they had a refuge, which required if you don't get on it and get to the refuge, you're toast. The enemy will take you and kill you and destroy you. That's the picture we're to have. We are to run until we get to the refuge to the rock, to the safe place. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the same picture, and the righteous one will run into it and be safe. The name of the Lord is another way of saying his character. His character is one that is of loyal love and is of glad refuge for those who would take refuge in him, those who would seek him. I want you to look back at verse 6. I want to show you something very strange. Verse 6, as he's anguishing, and he says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. This is a great moment of trust for David. But then he says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Like, I, I don't know if that stands out to you as strange, but why in the midst of him telling God his troubles and seeking refuge to God, why the random worthless idols thing? It sounds like he's just, you know, throwing out some holier-than-thou phrase. David's not feeling so great about his circumstances. Maybe he knows a little bit of sin that he's wrestling with. So let me figure out how to point the finger at some other people. That's a little bit how it hit me at first. But why does he do that? Well, because when we're in the midst of trial, temptation, difficulty, distress, there are many tempting options that we can try to go find refuge in. Let's not be holier than thou and go, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't really face any of those. Some of them can be good things. When we are distressed and waiting on God's deliverance and it becomes longer and longer and longer the wait, we can be tempted to soothe our fears. You can be tempted to solve your own problems or to construct an identity for ourselves. We can turn to worldly quick fixes when we feel like this trial is too much or God is taking too long, here's the, here's the principle. We will all take refuge in someone or something. Michael Jordan, 
I would say still is the greatest of all time in basketball. Maybe I'm just imprisoned in the 80s and 90s, but Michael Jordan, was when he was inducted in the NBA Hall of Fame, I, I haven't uh, watched it in a while, but, boy, I just ached for him. I ached for him and what he said because it was so sad to me, the greatest of all time, and yet he felt like he needed to prove himself even more. But in that Hall of Fame, he concluded his speech by saying, the game of basketball has been everything to me. Listen, my refuge. My place, I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. Without intending to, Michael Jordan used the word picture of the Psalms to to depict his relationship to the game of basketball. Why would he call, why, yeah, why would he call basketball my refuge? Well, he was saying that he drew strength and tried to build stability emotionally and psychologically in his life on his success on the, in the sport of basketball. For Jordan, he sought to take refuge, and it was very active, on a 94-foot hardwood floor to pursue security and a sense of worth. The problem is that that court and that sport, while good, can never supply for him or for any of us the life-preserving, life-giving refuge that he needs. So what is it for you? What is that tempting option, that fix to solve your problems yourself, to build your identity, to build your sense of self-worth, to find and grab security on your own terms? When the pressure mounts and when threats breathe down our necks, when we've blown it, when we feel like we're cut off from God's sight, we will all take refuge in someone or something. And Psalm 31 has given voice that you can take to take refuge in him. In fact, it's been the source of voice for others seeking to take refuge. Jonah echoed the phrase about hating those who regard worthless idols while he's in the belly of the great fish. Jeremiah multiple times borrows phrasing from Psalm 31, when he was constantly attacked, constantly plotted against, constantly in distress, sitting on the ash heap of Jerusalem when nobody listened to a sermon he ever preached. And he uses phrases from this, uh, possibly an older man, maybe David later in life, Psalm 71. He quotes the first three verses of Psalm 31, talking about, in you I take refuge. In you I take refuge. And most significantly, the Lord Jesus meditated on this psalm a lot. Yes, I know he's God, so it's unfair advantage. But he he meditated on this psalm because it gave voice to his final words from the cross. Luke 23, 46, where a quote from Psalm 31, 5, Father, into your hands I commit commit my spirit. And that's what taking refuge is. It's telling God where we are, where we feel, what we feel, where the rug's been pulled out from underneath us, where I'm frustrated, where I'm disappointed, disillusioned, but I will trust you. You are a refuge, but be my refuge. So it moves from confessional theology to functional, practiced, exercised faith. And in that trust in him, the muscle memory of faith can be developed and we'll experience his goodness stored up, but also spilled out by him on us. I want to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to do two things in closing. We're going to, we're going to have the chance to use a little bit of this psalm and then voice a prayer that... Um, is it, can you throw up the next slide? 
or the, uh, this, there we go, from David Taylor. He wrote a book on the Psalms called Open and Unafraid. And really, it's just the practice of taking refuge in God. We're going to pray this prayer, um, and then uh, I'm going to actually give a benediction and a call to worship before we sing the goodness of God, but I want them already up here. If you'd stand, as you think about where is that place you're tempted to take refuge, or as you think about what is your current season, just take a moment, quiet your heart, and say, God, would you be a refuge to me in my season of? Just take a moment to do that. Then we're going to say this prayer together. I'll give us a benediction and call to worship into this song. Lord, hear the cries of our hearts. Even break through the resistance where we feel like we're just going to deal with that right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are a refuge. Be a refuge to each person here, right where we are. In Jesus' name. Let's say this prayer together. Merciful God, you who weep with those who weep, who rescue those who have been oppressed, who incline your ear to the needy, who draw near to the abandoned, who bind up the brokenhearted, who raise up those who are laid low, and who feel compassion for those who are broken in body or in spirit, hear our prayer. Do not be deaf to our pain. Have pity on us in our affliction. Bring an end to our distress. Preserve our lives. Rescue us. Heal us. Be near to us this day. You are my refuge. I trust in you. My times are in your hands. And here's the benediction and the call to worship from Psalm 31. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Oh, how abundant is God's goodness that he has stored up for those who fear you, for fear him, and his tangible goodness work for all of you who take refuge in him. Let's declare his goodness together now in song. Declare your trust to him afresh right now. Sing of his faithfulness, not just in general, but his faithfulness to you. When they're finished, we'll be dismissed. Mm-hmm.